Good afternoon, everybody. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 96.5 KPL. I apologize for missing y'all yesterday. If you saw a small gray car on the side of the on the side of I-10 with somebody standing outside looking at their blown out tire, that was me. But I'm glad to be back. Mark, thank you very much for filling in. Uh, this is two days in a row now where I had the show planned out. I had I have a notebook. I have my show notes, everything written out, just kind of taking you know stuff from the day. And then both days at 1.45, something completely upends what I'm going to do. And then, of course, yesterday happens, and I don't get to get any of that. So now I have two days' worth of stuff to go over. Let's go with the breaking news. Let's talk with the, uh, talk about the stuff. Uh, you guys heard Dan Bongino talking about it just now. Incidentally, I think my Red State colleague, Kira Davis, is filling in for Bongino tomorrow. So it'll be four hours of Red State here on KPL. Uh, so anyway, the Supreme Court uh, dropped two opinions. Uh, the first is uh, the OSHA vaccine mandate. The second is this what we call the CMS mandate. That is the the healthcare workers mandate. So let's break both of these down very quickly. Uh, don't want to spend too much time on it because you guys have already kind of heard for a little over an hour now what the what the breakdown is. But essentially, the Supreme Court has said the OSHA mandate uh, you, you can't do it. It's unconstitutional. You can't do it. Now. This is uh, now the, the Supreme Court did basically say that this is unsettled, meaning that this can wind its way through the courts in its natural progression, and it can get back to the Supreme Court where they, you know, talk about it more in depth. This was just an immediate ruling type deal. They've ruled against OSHA, basically the OSHA rule, basically striking it down. Uh, the other one is a little bit more complicated, and, and and let's let's talk about the difference between the two here. The CMS ruling uh, allows the vaccine mandate for these. Uh, federal healthcare workers to stand. So what does that mean? Well, the these health if if you're in a health organization that takes money from the federal government, anytime you take money from the government, strings are attached. And there is plenty of established precedent that says if you're taking government money, the government's rules do apply. And so you're essentially a federal worker in that case. And and that's what the healthcare rule was when the Biden administration uh, brought that rule into play. So if you work in the healthcare system and you get money from the federal government and the federal government has said, if you work in these programs and get this federal money, you have to be vaccinated. Pretty much not, nothing you can do there. It's, it's a government rule. It's, it's government uh, making rules for government, essentially. Uh, the, the one that's trickier here is the OSHA mandate. Why was that struck down? The Supreme Court is basically saying in its opinion, this, this opinion was incidentally uh, it wasn't signed, so it's not officially signed by the justices. But you do have uh, you do have concurring and dissenting opinions, so you can kind of figure out who voted what on that one. On these, on the CMS one, it looks like uh, John Roberts, who kind of waffles back and forth between whether or not he's a conservative or, or liberal judge, and uh, Kavanaugh, who's a textualist, uh, not a liberal, but a textualist. Um, sided with the liberal justices on on the on the rule there. The thing is, you can tell that that ruling was written by either Roberts or Kavanaugh because it is very easy to read. Like if I pulled up the text right now and I read it to you, you don't need to be a lawyer or somebody who studied law or Supreme Court opinions for a long time to understand what they're saying. They do keep it, I don't want to say dumbed down, but essentially it is something that you and I, lay people, can understand about the law. The OSHA rule was struck down because it expanded the federal government's rule into non-government areas too greatly. And that's something that the conservative justices on the Supreme Court are very, very wary of. 
the idea that you have a strict division between public and private and the government should not be uh, enforcing these rules, these government level rules on private companies. Uh, and again, the rule was for um, the rule was for uh, businesses that had 100 or more employees. And the liberal justices were arguing. I, I, if you listen to the argument a couple of weeks ago on on this issue, what you heard it was it was actually kind of interesting to listen to. What you heard was the liberal justices arguing with the conservative justices and vice versa, without talking to each other. Through the Solicitor General, through the lawyers who were arguing this case, the Supreme Court justices were essentially arguing with each other. The things that Sotomayor were saying were countered by the things the other judges were saying. And the and Kagan and Sotomayor and the others were arguing against what the conservative justices were saying. And the conservative justices were saying, this is too much power over private businesses. And the liberal justices were saying, but we have a health crisis. And if you look at the numbers, the health crisis isn't really as there as you'd think. I mean, the, the Omicron numbers are not as severe as previous variants. This, this is looking like, I, I'd seen some speculation, this is looking like the variant that would take us out of pandemic stage and more into endemic stage. This is now a much calmer thing, much less deadly. It can still be deadly, just like the flu is still deadly, but not nearly as much. But the, the big breaking news of the day being uh, this split decision on the rulings. Now, this is not great news for the Biden administration. Biden made a big deal about this OSHA rule. The Biden administration was hanging its hat. You know, part of this was the Biden administration, you know, we're, we're going to fight to shut down this virus. He said that. Remember, as a candidate, he said he will shut down the virus. And it hasn't happened yet. The OSHA rule being struck down is yet another defeat for the Biden administration. They've had several defeats in, just in the past 24 hours alone. Manchin and Sinema reinforcing that they're not going to vote to, vo to abolish the filibuster. You have other Democrats in the background warily saying kind of the same thing. They don't want to be put on the record for this. You have uh, the Build Back Better plan is shelved. The Voting Rights Act is going to be shelved. Uh, the filibuster is not going to be eliminated. This is... A very, very bad time for the Biden administration. We're going to go ahead. I want to take an early break here because I have a whole list of reasons why the Biden administration is suffering right now. It's not just the, this last couple weeks. From the start, the Biden administration has been just out of their minds with the stuff they've tried to pull off. And every step of the way, they have been slapped down on it. This is Joe Cunningham, the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 965 KPL. Be sure if you want to call in, call 232-1542. Take part in the conversation. We have so much to talk about today, and we will continue doing that after this break. We're uh, we're back. The Joe Cunningham Show here on KPL 96.5. Glad to be with you guys today. Uh, I, I wanted... So again... Uh, the OSHA mandate for vaccines has been struck down. The Supreme Court says, nope, that's, you're trying to exercise too much power. You're, you're uh, going beyond the, 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 the reins. Uh, you're, you're going beyond the boundaries of, of what you OSHA should be allowed to do. So the Biden administration has a loss there. Here is what's really, really interesting. The Biden administration has made promise after promise after promise. Biden said he was going to shut down the virus. 
Biden promised he was going to increase COVID testing. He promised he was going to make more treatments available. He insisted inflation wasn't really a problem. He insisted the border wasn't really a problem. He insisted gas prices weren't a problem, that energy production levels weren't a problem. He said that he was going to be tough on China. He said he was going to be tough on Russia. He said he was going to get everybody home from Afghanistan. He promised that he was going to get ISIS back for the terror attack that killed 13 Americans in Afghanistan during the withdrawal process. Instead, they launched, they, they, they used a, a drone to, to kill an innocent man and his family. We spent a ton of money on COVID relief. And across the country, schools are shutting down. Workers have not returned to the office. Medical workers are burning out. He has a legislative agenda. Build Back Better has been shelved. Getting rid of the filibuster. That's off the table now. As of today, Kirsten Sinema got up on the, on the floor of the Senate and said, I'm not changing my mind. He wants to pass this Voting Rights Act, but he can't get the votes to do it. So that's off the table. Is there, a, is there an issue that Joe Biden has won on? Aside from winning the election, has there been anything that Joe Biden has won on? Jen Psaki told us that Biden saved Christmas and that the supply chain problems were solved. They're still there, y'all. Have you seen the news reports from around the country? There are empty shelves. People can't get some of their basic groceries. You can't find some of the things you need. At some point, somebody has just got to say, you know what, we're, we're a lame duck administration. Just sit down and just, just wait it out. And maybe somebody else comes along. Problem is, on the Democratic side, who's going to come along? Kamala Harris is extremely unpopular. Pete Buttigieg disappeared for months, and nobody really said a word about it. Nobody even noticed during a major transportation crisis. Who are the other Democrats we could throw out there? Bernie Sanders? Bernie Sanders will be really old. He's gonna, he'll, he'll make a try again. Maybe Elizabeth Warren will make a try again. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez isn't quite old enough yet to make that run, but she's going to try at some point. If she stays in office, she's going to try. Now, the, the rumor, I think I mentioned this the other day, that the rumor is that AOC wants to challenge Chuck Schumer for his Senate spot and bring, her, bring squad politics to reinforce Bernie in the Senate. Who are the other Democrats that are out there? Are there any viable successors? Um, there's one. That was actually kind of tossed out today, although not as a successor, just as a, a we've actually talked about in the state of Louisiana before. We've talked about this particular Democrat maybe having a, a future in national politics. Former New Orleans Mayor Mitch Landrieu. He is now the White House infrastructure coordinator. The infrastructures are for Joe Biden. Relatively young face in the Democratic Party been around a while, comes from a legacy Democrat family here in the state of Louisiana. Infrastructure czar for Joe Biden. There's a problem, though. Uh, have you been to New Orleans recently? What exactly infrastructure changes is Mitch Landry going to bring to the rest of the United States when he couldn't do anything in New Orleans? 
I've been to New Orleans enough times to know that if if Mitch Landry wanted to say that infrastructure was a great success there, I I haven't seen it. Unless uh, the current mayor of New Orleans undid everything that he did, which I don't think. And New Orleans isn't that self-destructive. The Biden administration has zero record of, of success here. And the Democrats are, are in a lot of trouble. And, and nobody seems to be telling them that. They're, they're still pushing forward with these plans that are going to alienate more voters. Build back better. They're going to use that to backdoor a lot of the Green New Deal stuff. Build back better. Very little of that deals with any of the infrastructure stuff they're still promising. A lot of it's going to go to the Green New Deal stuff. The uh, the Voting Rights Act, that's a federalization. That's a federal takeover of, of, of voting, uh, of the election systems in the United States. Here's the thing on that. As soon, if, if that were to get passed, let's say that Manchin and Cinema were on board. They were able to do a filibuster carve-out or completely nuke the filibuster for the Voting Rights Act. Soon as it gets signed by the president, it gets challenged by every Republican state. And they go to court. And it will make its way up to the Supreme Court before the November election. The Supreme Court will say, hold on. In a 5-4, maybe 6-3 vote, the Supreme Court will say, now hold on. They're going to do like they did with the OSHA ruling today. They're going to say, we're, we're not going to shut it down completely. But we're going to put this on hold until this can make its way through the courts. And it will take a couple years. It won't be ready for the 2022 election. It may get decided before the 2024 election. But by that point, nobody, it's, it's going to be dropped. Nobody's going to really care about that much anymore. And it will be something that the Democrats can campaign on. See, that's the thing. I don't know if y'all remember this, but this voting rights bill was H.R. 1. It was the very first bill put forward by this Congress after the 2020 election. Now, why is that important? Historically, H.R. 1 is a platform bill. It's not meant to be passed. It is everything that the party in power said they wanted to get done is in that bill or the main item that they want to get done in that particular Congress is in that bill. And so they put it all in there and they put it forward. And it's a messaging bill. It is a campaign bill. It is a platform bill. It's not really meant to pass. And the mistake the Democrats are making is they put all of their eggs in this basket and they want it to pass. And it's not going to. And I'm sorry. The more you attack cinema and mansion, and the more you say that they are upholding white supremacy, there was one write-up in, in some online publication that referred to Manchin as the uncloaked Klansman from West Virginia and referred to cinema as Karen Senator from Arizona. Do folks realize that that's not winning them allies? Now, they, the Democrats say there's been good negotiations, there's been pleasant talks with their colleagues, but then a lot of them go out and they start attacking their fellow members. Schumer has all but attacked Manchin and Cinema. He's tried to make it about the Republicans. He's tried to make it, well, a minority of people are blocking this. No. If it were just a minority, you have the votes. But it's a majority of senators in the Senate 
are opposed to you upending the filibuster to force this through. You don't even have the guaranteed votes for the voting rights bill, much less overturning the filibuster to get it forced through. But this rhetoric keeps building up. I wrote about this yesterday. It's the Democrats' small tent problem. In politics, we talk about big tent politics, letting new ideas, letting, letting a broad range of ideas into your side, just being welcoming of them in an effort to expand your voting base. The Democrats are doing the opposite. They are letting the far-left progressive uh, vote, the very vocal minority in their base, and the very loud voices on social media and the very loud voices in their party dictate the flow, dictate the direction of the entire party. And it's, it's very much a, if you're not with us, you're against us type mentality there. They're going to continue to attack their colleagues over this. And what's going to happen? The Democrats are going to run out of palatable candidates in 2024. 2022 comes and goes. Democrats suffer a lot of major losses. And then what happens? 2024, there's no bench. There's nobody the voters can really gravitate toward. Are they going to stick with Biden or Kamala Harris or Buttigieg? Probably not. Maybe Biden if he decides to run, but none of the others. Buttigieg is not around and nobody cares. Kamala Harris is bad at politics. The Democrats are going to have no bench come 2024. If you want to call in 232-1542 here on News Talk 96.5 KPL, you can also join me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham or go to Facebook, facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Reach out to me there. Have plenty of conversations. We will be back uh, in just a moment here on the Joe Cunningham Show. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. If you want to call in 232-1542, uh, talked a lot about the OSHA mandate being struck down by the Supreme Court. The CMS vaccine mandate uh, has been upheld. And uh, just in general, it's, it's been a very, very bad year for the Biden administration. And there's no end in sight. So yesterday I mentioned the news abruptly changed. In between the time I was getting the show notes ready and the time that I was actually about to leave to come up here because Quinnipiac dropped a new poll. Joe Biden's approval rating, according to this Quinnipiac poll, is 33 percent. 33 approved, 53 disapproved. Y'all, over a four year span, Trump's worst was 37 percent. At this same time in his first year. Trump's was 38%. So Biden is doing worse than Donald Trump. And that's with Donald Trump having the mainstream media constantly attacking him and the mainstream media constantly trying to lift up Joe Biden. They can't break through that. Uh, In the generic ballot, the Republican Party is a plus one favorite for uh, winning the House. Generic uh, generic ballot for the Senate, the GOP is a uh, is uh, favor has a, a favorability of, of plus four, but it gets even worse. If you look at the stats, the Hispanic voters are the the uh, white voters have a thirty five percent approval rating of Joe Biden. Hispanic voters are at twenty eight percent. Black voters something like sixty five percent approval. But think about the Hispanic vote. That, that's, that's one thing to really pay attention to. It's one of the reasons why the Democrats are panicking right now. 
in Virginia. Again, Virginia is a very good kind of bellwether for where things stand just ahead of a midterm election. And so you see this particular election and the Hispanic vote in Virginia shifted very heavily to the Republicans and it wasn't a one-off thing. Hispanic voters are very, very wary of the Democrats right now. A lot of them come from family. When the longer Hispanic families stay in the United States, typically they grow more socially conservative. And so they identify with the Republican Party a little bit more there. But here's what else. Hispanic voters, their families who have been here for generations, look at what's happening at the border, look at the refusal to deal with the illegal immigration crisis, see the chaos at the border, and they don't, they, they, first of all, they feel cheated because they had to go through a rigorous process, but the Biden administration is just letting anybody through and, and rezoning these immigrants to, to various places. Hispanic voters are also almost uniformly rejecting this whole Latinx terminology that the progressive whites like to use. You see it all the time. They say Latinx when they refer to Hispanic or, or Latino voters. Because Spanish is a gendered language. There is specific, there's a specific way you say words if it refers to the feminine form and the specific way you refer to uh, things if it's the, the, the masculine form. And so progressives, not wanting to offend anybody, have started using Latinx. And every poll about it that's come out shows Hispanic voters don't like that. They want to use the traditional language, the traditional descriptors that have been used. They don't like this whole wokeness. And part of that does go to the social conservatism thing. Latinx is in there for uh, LGBT reasons, being accepting. And Hispanic voters, when, by and large, tend to be more socially conservative. They come from deeply Catholic countries or, or deeply evangelical countries. They have a whole lot of socially conservative ideas. And so to have their whole identity, the, the, the vocabulary of their identity change to be more accepting of things that aren't really socially conservative, it drives them away from the Democrats. All of these things are adding up. Again, I, if there's one message to keep pounding in over and over, it's that the Democrats are salting their own field here. The Democrats are doing nothing to help themselves. The Republicans, Mitch McConnell's basically said, we don't have to put out any ideas right now. We just have to gesture broadly at the Democrats. Voters will flee from that. The Republicans will put ideas forward when it comes time for a presidential election. But in this midterm election, they just sit back. And they point out what the Democrats have done. And in many cases, what the Democrats haven't done. And it's just going to keep getting worse and worse for the Democrats. They're going to keep getting more and more dissatisfaction from the American voters. Joe Biden is in free fall. 33%. Now, now let me, for the Quinnipiac poll, it is an outlier. The most recent poll before that had Joe Biden at 40% approval. And it's been fluctuating between the mid and lower 40s for the last several polls. But this is matching the trend. The trend is he's still dropping. He's going to continue to drop over and over and over. 
as things continue to not get better. Things are staying stagnant. Everything is stagnant. And it's a bad thing for the Biden administration. And I, that brings me to today. I, my, my column at Red State this morning, again, redstate.com, if you click on authors, you can find my name. You'll find everything that I've written at Red State. Just continue uh, scrolling on down. Uh, the media, folks in the media remain convinced that the problem is not Joe Biden. That the problem is not his failing policies. The problem to these Democrats and to the, well, if I say media and Democrats, I'm repeating myself, to these folks in the media is that this is, uh, is right-wing misinformation. Right-wing media's misinformation is causing all this. Brian Stelter at CNN is basically paid by CNN to watch Fox News all day and comment on what they're saying or what they're not saying. If it's not up to Brian Stelter's standards, he likes to report negatively on Fox News. Uh, he pointed out in the Quinnipiac poll that 50% of the respondents say that the storming of the U.S. Capitol on January 6th was an attack on democracy that should never be forgotten, while 44% say too much is being made of the storming of the U.S. Capitol. This is down from, I think, 57% uh, a month or so earlier. So as the meeting, as the Democrats keep pushing January 6th more and more, more and more voters get turned off by it. Problem is, and then somebody re, uh, retweets Stelter saying it's another example proving just how much the gravitational force of right-wing media and disinformation impacts public opinion. Here's the problem. Stelter's cherry-picking one line of data from what is actually a, a much more complex thought. Just over half of Americans think that it's very likely uh, or somewhat likely that there will be another attack on the United States Capitol, just like the one that happened at the Capitol on January 6, 2001. 43% say it's not so likely or not likely at all. The congressional investigation... 61% support the investigation while 33% oppose it. Now, wait a minute, that's a lot different than 50 to 44 that Stelter was pointing out. An overwhelming number of Americans support the investigation of what happened on January 6th. Democrats support the investigation 83 to 15. Independents support it 65 to 30. And Republicans oppose it 60 to 36. Breaking those numbers down a little bit, you have more Republicans who are breaking from their party to support the January 6th investigation than you have Democrats breaking from their party to oppose it. It's a partisan issue. And it's not the partisan issue that the media would like you to think it is. It's not a Republican issue. It's a Democrat issue because you have more independents who are breaking away from the Democratic Party's ideas on this and saying, y'all, I, I really don't care about this. This is the problem with the media and their echo chambers. They live in their own media echo chambers. They live in their Washington, D.C. and their, uh, their East Coast echo chambers. And they live in their, so their social media echo chambers. And they're not seeing the outside world. What's happening in the outside world? Maybe it's the fact, maybe people don't care because the economy is still dragging along slowly. Gas prices are still too high. Supply chain issues and shortages are leaving barren grocery store shelves. The border is still in chaos. There are still Americans trapped in Afghanistan. All this is much more immediate to the American voter 
than what happened over a year ago when a riot took place in the U.S. Capitol. And some lunatic in an ox helmet and a fur kilt and face paint decided to steal Nancy Pelosi's nameplate from her desk. And yes, there were idiots who erected a gallows and said that they wanted to find and hang Mike Pence. And they wanted to uh, hurt legislators in the Capitol. But it never happened and Congress was back in business hours later and finished what they started. Americans care about these immediate concerns. They don't care about what the Democrats and the media are pushing about January 6th. And that's why Biden's approval numbers are down. Going to take another break, 232-1542, if you want to join in the conversation. Remember, you can also take part in the conversation on Twitter and Facebook. We will be back to wrap up the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Again, you want to join me on social media at Joe P. Cunningham on Twitter. Find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Uh, you can also get my uh, columns. I, I write a column every weekday morning. Go to kitchenpundit.substack.com. Sign up for, uh, sign up for the uh, newsletter there, and you'll get every column plus some other stuff, audio clips from the show, things like that. I'm, I'm looking to expand that. Now that we have the show launched, I uh, can do quite a bit. Also, if you can't listen to the show every day, uh, the, uh, live on the radio, uh, we do have podcast streams set up. You can look up the Joe Cunningham Show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and you can find them there. We will uh, start uploading the shows uh, and really have those out regularly for y'all. So yesterday, here's what happened. I, I told you guys a little bit at the beginning of the show. Uh, I, I was driving here. I hit a bad patch of concrete. It, it blew out my tire. So I'm on the side of I-10 um, getting a tow truck, getting, uh, calling a tire place to see if they have a tire that can, that can fit my car. Uh, luckily, I get lucky on both. I'm able to get a tow and get, uh, get a tire for under $200, which was very helpful because uh, I hate using my credit card. But while I'm waiting for the tow truck, I get an email from my kid's school. And my daughters were out of school today and tomorrow because there's too many staff quarantines because of COVID-19. Now, the Omicron variant is still on the rise. We're, we're probably getting close. I think, our, uh, I think our rate of transmission in the state of Louisiana has kind of peaked and is starting to go down. We're starting to see uh, the, it's not growing as much. It's not, it's, it's not spreading as much as it had been. So we, we appear to be beginning our, uh, the, the, the decline from this spike. In East Baton Rouge Parish, they had the, one of the teachers' unions there organizing a sick-out. I know that there's a lot of grumbling here in Lafayette Parish. In Chicago, the teachers' unions there finally negotiated a return to the classroom. And so after several days, kids were able to return to schools. Other districts are trying to close. There's a lot of conflict going back and forth. I've told y'all before. I am an advocate of keeping schools open. There are situations when I believe schools can close, like if you have too many staff outages, uh, you can, a school cannot function properly at that point. If you're having to pull teachers out of their classrooms to cover for other teachers and you're having to split classes in order to get coverage for everybody, at that point the situation feels pretty untenable. 
But by and large, if we can keep schools open, let's keep schools open. The data shows that it's more beneficial to the students. And that's who the job is. That, that's who benefits from this job is the students. They are there to learn. They are there to be prepared for life on this. Today, John Bill Edwards says he doesn't see a need to return to a mask mandate, assuming that the hospitals don't get overwhelmed again. And, and they're not getting overwhelmed. We have enough residents in Louisiana who are vaccinated. We don't have a whole lot of people who are uh, getting hospitalized with the Omicron variant. We appear to be making it through. We appear to be really at the end of the pandemic to where this will become endemic. It will be like how the Spanish flu largely turned into the flu that we experience today. I am convinced that these government agencies and these the, the teachers unions and these politicians who insist on these quote-unquote mitigation efforts are doing so out of fear now there is there is a certain amount of yes they want to increase their power over you type mentality but a lot of this is fear. A lot of this is essentially COVID trauma. And they aren't, they, they aren't processing. They, they, they've said for, since this started, follow the science, follow the science, follow the day. And they, they laughed at Republicans and they mocked Republicans. There are progressives out there now making fun of Glenn Beck for announcing that he has COVID again and that it's spread to his lungs. But then it started happening to them and they grew terrified. This isn't a partisan thing. The data is showing us that Omicron is not as serious a variant. The data is showing us still that kids aren't major vectors for spread. The number of children out of school is due to quarantine, not due to actually testing positive. The contact tracing and everything like that is keeping kids out of schools. And that's fine if you want to mitigate the spread. Take the kid out for a couple days, make sure they're not showing symptoms, let them come back. But from the beginning, Joe Biden said, I will shut down this virus, and he has not. He promised to increase testing, and he has not. He has said he's going to make treatments more available. He's, his administration has actually withheld treatments from states. His administration mocked the governor of Florida for continuing to push for Regeneron, the monoclonal treatments, until the administration recognized that this is actually a treatment that works. And then they bought up all of it, and Florida couldn't get much more of it. And for equity reasons, the federal government started limiting their supply to red states. Biden has promised so much and has failed to deliver every single time. Before we go, I want to say something else. This was a story over on the Hayride. In 2021, Louisiana Congressman Steve Scalise raised $28 million. He is one of the most popular Republicans in Washington, D.C. His party loves him because he was the victim of an assassination attempt by a crazed Bernie Sanders supporter. 
Steve Scalise, when the Republicans take back the House, should be the House Speaker. Republicans need to dump Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy is a coward. He has never found a fence he could not sit on. He has never taken a firm stance on anything unless it benefits his ability to maintain power. He is, without a doubt, the most ineffective leader the Republicans could have in Washington, D.C. And I'm not just saying this because I'm from Louisiana. You guys are from Louisiana. I'm saying this seriously. If the Republicans wanted to put the face of left-wing violence, what left-wing violence does, into the speakership and throw that every day in the media's and Democrats' faces, they would go with Steve Scalise's House Speaker after the 2022 election. Check me out on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. You can find the podcast of The Joe Cunningham Show on wherever you get your podcasts from. And you can catch me at kitchenpundit.substack.com. This is The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. See you guys in uh, 23 hours.